0: We are starting a series right now that's going to lead us right into Easter. We're going to be spending seven weeks in the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and go to the Gospel of John. We're also going to be uh, touching in Hebrews chapter 10 and a couple of other passages as well. Uh, So we are going to be spending this time in John. And what we're going to do is we're going to focus on seven miracles or the seven signs that Jesus accomplished here on earth. So what's the purpose of John's gospel? Why did John sit down and uh, write this gospel? Well, he has a very specific point. If you went to college uh, or even high school in English, if you were writing a paper, you had to uh, kind of start with a thesis statement. All right, why am I writing this? Well, John has one and it's actually near the end of the book. So in John chapter 20, okay, so the second to last chapter, The last two verses, in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, John gives us his thesis, his reason for writing this book. In John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, John says, Now Jesus did many other signs. Stop there. John is going to write on seven, actually an eighth sign uh, at the end, after he was uh, raised from the dead. But these seven signs from chapters 1, uh, really chapter 2 through 11, have a purpose. He could write a whole lot more, but he he focuses on these. So it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, okay, so these specific signs are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in His name. So again, the purpose of his writing was not to be some great exhaustive account of his life, but to show by seven miracles, seven signs is the word he uses in the Greek, that Jesus is the Christ, He is the very Son of God, and if you would believe in Him, you would have eternal life with God. That's his reasoning for writing this, okay? And so what I want to do is I want to share in these next few weeks uh, that these signs will accomplish two things. These signs, every one of these signs are going to accomplish two things because we serve a God who is so amazing. He is, he is transcendent. He is out there, but he is also imminent, meaning he is right here with us. So the two uh, things we want to accomplish is this. Number one, these signs will of course prove the deity of Christ. It's going to reveal His glory. The second thing we're going to find out about each of these signs is that these signs, every one of them, will meet a practical need in someone's life. Meaning that God understands what you're going through. God of heaven understands what you're going through. That is huge. So let's go ahead and dive right in. If you have your Bible, go to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. This is the first sign that is recorded uh, in John's book. John chapter 2. Buckle up. we got a lot to talk about. That's going to be great. John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. On the third day... Stop right there. Don't you love it when preachers get like three words into it and they stop? It's like, oh, this is going to take forever. (laughs) Okay. um, On the third day... Well, what's the, the third day of what? To put it as succinct as possible, the third day of his earthly ministry. Okay, Because what you have is John the Baptist four days ago... From this time, four days ago, John the Baptist, he's speaking to Pharisees and, and just people who are gathering to be baptized by John the Baptist. Because John was preaching them a message that the Messiah is coming and he's coming very, very soon. I am the forerunner. I'm the one to tell you he is on his way. And so four days from this, John says, behold, someone's coming who I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes He is absolutely amazing and he's coming. I mean, very quickly, the next day, the Bible says, Jesus came to which John declared in his prophetic voice, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's John 1 35. So the next day from that. So boom, there it is. First day of ministry. Jesus is baptized. Well, guess what? The next day, John says, there he is again. There's the son of God and some of his own disciples leave and follow Jesus. And they said, hey, where are you staying? He said, well, come here, I'll show you. A few people uh, he talked to and other disciples started to join him. The next day, a guy named Nathaniel found out who Jesus Christ was. And he was so pumped, he believed him on the spot. Because Jesus uh, told him something that no one else would have known about where he was. Not only, not only outwardly, but also inwardly. Because remember, he's a God who's out there and a God who is right here. John chapter 1, it's an awesome book. And then we come to this verse in the next day. So that Jesus has only been, he's only uh, started his ministry within three days, and his first miracle is taking place. On the third day, it says, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no one. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, at this point, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Okay? You can Google it and whatever, whatnot. But to some of us, the reaction that Jesus had toward his mama was, whoo, that's pretty rough. I mean, I've heard phrases like, uh, if you go to Cracker Barrel and you eat biscuits and get that white gravy on top, it's so good you'll slap your mama. You've heard that before, right? Okay, this kind of feels like that, doesn't it? Because we are 21st century, and when we see something like like, like this very passage, here's how we read it. Uh, And Jesus said to her, Woman, what's that got to do with me? That's not what's going on here, okay? Uh The word "woman in there is the same word for like ma'am okay, woman or ma'am it's the same word that Jesus uses many times when he calls a woman who was caught in adultery and she has been forgiven of God. His response was, "Woman, where are your uh, accusers and he this is jesus's normal um a phrase that he uses, so no this isn't this isn't an inappropriate phrase. But it is interesting that he doesn't say mommy or Mary. That's interesting. But let's get into uh, a little bit more of that. Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, I'm going to make an observation. It might be right or it might be wrong. But here's the deal. You can't prove me wrong on this. So (laughs) it, it might just work. The writer of this gospel is who? John, right? Well, after Jesus died and went on to heaven, John became the son of who? Mary. Okay, we know that because when Jesus was on the cross, he said, woman, behold your son. Uh, son, behold your mother. All right. So, so John, in a way, kind of adopted Mary as his mom, so to speak, uh, for the rest of her life. So I have a sneaking suspicion... That as John was writing this gospel, either Mary was either still alive, at least through uh, the rough drafts or whatever the case may be, or Mary's words were in his head. Because there are two people, two people in in the gospel of John that their names are not mentioned. One of them is the writer. It never says Peter, James, and John. It always says, whenever there should be the word John there, it's the disciple whom Jesus loved. Okay, He he was probably just too humble to actually put his name in his book. Or he just wanted to identify himself as this. And you don't need to know me. All you need to know is that Jesus loves me. And the second name is Mary. Her name is not in this book. It's only the mother of Jesus. So you've got some great humility here. And if that's the case... If Mary was even a part of this, we know that what's about to be said is the Word of God and it's not offensive to Mary. Right? So with that said, why did Jesus respond to her the way that He did? I believe, and I, know that, I, I, I believe this from the answer that Mary gives, Mary was not asking Jesus for a favor as much as she was trying to be a mother telling her son what to do. But you see what happened 3 days ago. What happened 3 days ago? You know this. Jesus He was baptized and started his ministry. Absolutely. All right. Jesus was baptized and started his ministry. So a new relationship had taken place between him and his mother. He was no longer to be Jesus the son of Mary. He is to be Jesus Mary's savior. The relationship has now changed. So, when Mary, who may have been part of the planning of this wedding, by the way, when she realized that the wine was running low, she went to Jesus and probably said, Jesus, you are a miracle worker. Do your stuff. To which he said, You're coming to me wrong. You're you're making demands out of me. I am your Savior. What what does this issue have to do with me? And at that point, you'd think Jesus would just walk away, but he doesn't. He actually uh, does change water into wine. We'll get into that in a moment. And I believe Mary knew exactly what he was talking about, because listen to her response. When Jesus said, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Okay? It's not time for me to reveal everything to all the people. It's not time for me to go to the cross yet. I've got work to do. Listen to what his mom said. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So at that point, her whole perspective changed. Oh my, you're not, you're not just a son that I can tell what to do on a whim. You are my master, and whatever you say, the answer is yes. Everything changed. So I don't have much more time to get into that. Let's, let's move on. Jesus' mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Here it comes. though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves good wine first, and then when the people have drunk freely, well then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs that Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. Listen to this. The disciples believed. In him. This sign had a great purpose. It was to manifest his glory. It was to be an undeniable proof of the Godhood of the deity of Jesus Christ. So, how did this sign prove Jesus was God? How did this sign do that? Well, number one, this sign proved that Jesus has authority over all of creation. Let me ask you a question. And look in the verses to find this, okay how full were the water jars filled with water? How full were they to the brim right and that what verse seven says they filled it with they filled them up to the brim here's what this tells me: Jesus could not have added anything more to that water. Did you catch that? They filled it to the brim so if Jesus would have I'm going to sneak a little bit of wine in here. Do a little 50-50. No one will know. They would have known. It would have overflowed. So instead of adding. Jesus changed it. Amen. Absolutely. Amen. Amen to you too. This is what, what this tells us. Not only is every molecule of everything under the submission of Christ, but listen to this, every molecule can be transformed by His will. Everything can be transformed by His will as well. You know what that tells me? God is so powerful. He could turn cancer into fat cells. He can do that. Amen. Praise God. He can do that. He can turn darkness into light. He could could also turn light into darkness. When we get to the cross, we see that. Nothing is impossible with God and he is proving that right here. Listen, there is no need to look any further. Jesus is God. Yet for us skeptics out there including myself many times, he'll give us six more signs. But let's let's focus on this one, okay? Okay? So the first thing that we see the first truth that we see as far as Jesus proving who he was, was that he has authority. He has authority over all of creation. Second, he has superiority. He's top. Over the Old Testament law. Now how in the world do you get that from this passage? I am so glad you asked. I really am. That really helps me, the dialogue we have together. It's awesome. Listen, the superiority of the Old Testament law is seen from John chapter 2 verse 6 and 7 and verse 10. Listen to what has taken place. Okay, Jesus said, get the jars. And listen, there were six stone water jars there for what? For the Jewish rites of purification, each of these held between twenty or thirty gallons, and Jesus said to the servants, "Fill the jars with water." So what we have in this passage we have a, a an item that is to be used for the for the keeping of the Old Testament law. It, it is a water jug that people would put their hands, their feet, their body into. In order to somehow, some way, be able to stand before God in a temple. It was rough stuff. But that's what it was there for. And they filled that jar. That very thing that symbolized the Old Testament. They filled it with water. That's not it. Look at verse 10. The master of the ceremony who gets this wine that was in those ceremonial jars... He takes that wine and he drinks it and he says this. Listen, everyone serves the good wine first. Everyone does. But when people have drunk freely, then the poor comes. Listen, but you have kept the good wine until now. Here's what he just said. The first you gave me was not good enough. What you're giving to me now is superior better let's unpack that let's unpack that jesus in this story uses a symbol of the old testament purification law a law that could not be quenched by you and i alone and jesus took that very symbol and made it drinkable no he made it enjoyable Look at John 1, 17, uh the, the chapter just before that. This is, this is the heart of God in this book. Okay, Showing the superiority of Christ over, over anything and all things, specifically the Old Testament. In and, and John one seventeen, listen to this. For the law was given through Moses. What does the law bring? The law, it's, it's, I'll get to what it, what it fully means, but it, it brings fear. It brings guilt. That's the best Moses could give us. So the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth came through Christ. It came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth brings brings satisfaction. It brings joy. That's what Christ brings to us. So I want to be very clear here. The law, the Old Testament, is wonderful for its purpose. It is to display the holiness of God. And it also Displays our inability to reach holiness alone. It's not possible. The law is perfect, yet it's insufficient to save those who cannot keep the law. Let me ask you a question Have you kept the law of God perfectly? Have you ever lied, stealed, uh, cheated? Have you ever uh, looked at somebody inappropriately? Have you uh, coveted, coveted uh, desired things that, that you should not have? If you are keeping the law perfectly from birth, raise your hand. then then you agree with this statement: The law is perfect, and it's insufficient to save. Kendall easily says this. Jesus Christ, who is better than the angels, better than Moses, better than Joshua, and the Hebrew high priests, made a better sacrifice and established a better covenant, ensuring that the old way is obsolete and sufficient, and that faith is the better way to live. So what was the purpose of the law? I'm so glad again you asked. You're asking some great questions today. I just want to say thank you for that. First question, what's the purpose of the law? Well, Romans chapter 3 gives us the answer to this. Romans chapter 3 verse 19 and 20. Listen to what it says. Paul says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. That's the law. For by works of the law, no human being will be made right in his sight, made justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So the law was given to you and I to reveal sin and to give us a knowledge of it. That's the purpose of the law. What about those sacrifices and the ceremonial laws? What was the purpose of those things? Well, this is where I asked you to go to Hebrews 10. Please turn there. I want you to to see this. You may want to highlight. You might want to write some notes and things like that. Because Hebrews 10, I know I say this almost every week, is one of my my favorite uh, verses in the Bible. uh, Just to show uh, the beauty of Christ's sacrifice. Okay, so what's the purpose of the sacrifices? In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 3 through 4, here's what the author says. He says, but in these sacrifices, the Old Testament sacrifices, the sacrificing of the animals and the uh, the wheat and the offerings of that kind of thing. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every single year. Why? For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So what was the purpose of the sacrifice? To be a reminder that we are sinful people To be a reminder of our need for something, yea, someone else to pay for our sins. Because the law, remember, can only point to our shortcomings. It cannot delete them. The law cannot delete them. Only a Savior can do that. And we get to Hebrews 10 verse 12. This is good stuff. But when Christ had offered for all time in a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until the end... That his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single one-time offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. In one offering, when Jesus was on that cross, he made that one sin offering that was sufficient for anybody who would believe. To which the author says in verse 17, go down to 17. God says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. If you want to be free from guilt, shame, your past, present, and even future mistakes, the only way is not to, not to somehow work your way, to earn your way, or even to sacrifice things in your life, which ultimately mean nothing in the long run. The only way is to trust the one who is sufficient to cleanse you of all sin. So listen, the purification, the jars, okay, of the Old Testament, they now, in this very moment of this story, have been superseded. The, the, the ceremony, the purification has been superseded by the salvation Of Christ. That's what Hebrews 10 says. And what is the symbol? What is that symbol. That is used in the Old Testament. So that you and I would know. That salvation has come. Wine. Wine. I'm going to throw some verses. You can write down these notes. Joel 3.18. Joel 3.18 says, and in that day, that that great day in the future, all right, that wonderful day, the Lord's great day, when we understand and know who he is, and all the world knows, he says, In that day the mountains shall drip what? Sweet wine. Oh, and you gotta to turn to this one. You gotta to turn to Isaiah. You gotta to go to Isaiah chapter 25. Wow, this is so amazing. If you want a key verse to connect with this first miracle, you've got to go to Isaiah 25. Isaiah 25, verse 6 through 9. Isaiah, again, is looking at that great future day. And he says to this, to the people of Israel, and to us, all of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus. Listen to this. He says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people, a rich, a feast of rich food. And what else? A feast of what? Aged wine. Listen, I am not a wine connoisseur. Although I guess I am the son of one. <laughs> That's the first time I've ever been able to use that phrase. Uh, I hear that wine tastes best when it's aged. Is that right? Did you know that Jesus was so powerful that he didn't just turn water into wine? He turned it into the greatest age that that wine could have ever been. Because of that, I have no problem with this earth being less than 10,000 years old. I really don't. That's a side note for you to chew on. Moving on. Okay. Uh, Listen, let's go back to this. Oh, this is so amazing. Uh, Isaiah 25, 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine. Or rich food of marrow, full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all the peoples, the veil that is spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. I know it's poetic, but here we get to the meat of it. Ready? He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God, praise God, is going to wipe away Tears from all faces and the reproach of his people, the shame of his people, he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken this. And listen, and it will be said on that day, behold, where the wine is flowing. He said, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Listen, The wedding was getting into to be a bad situation. And Jesus comes and brings great joy. i will get to that in a moment as well. But do you see what Jesus had done in this miracle? He has taken all the drudgery of trying to use religion to somehow work your way to God. And Jesus said, stop that. I am coming to you. Instead of bringing drudgery, I'm going to bring you delight. Instead of jealousy and envy and strife, strife, I am going to well up inside of you joy. May those who come to Christ, may every breath that you take from this point forward be breaths of great joy. For you have been forgiven by our great God and Savior. Jesus Christ. Never, ever forget the joy in Him. So listen, what was the result of this? What's the result of Jesus' wine miracle? Well, He displayed His glory to those who witnessed the sign, namely the disciples, and it resulted in belief. Look at verse 11. John chapter 2, verse 11. This, This scene ends with this awesome verse. This... The first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. Made his glory known. Made his glory seen. People can can, can feel it. They can can be there. They can witness what? His great glory. And listen to what happens. And his disciples believed in him. So you had a group of about five or so disciples at this time that he called in in chapter 1. They're with Jesus. And now, they're like, man, this guy's a great teacher. Wow, this guy is like the anointed one. He's going to be the Messiah. Is he going to be the one to get us out of uh, the prison of Roman rule? But at this point, something changes. Folks, we're dealing with God here. <laughs> this is insane. So the, the, his core group, you'll see how this core extends After every sign. But right now, the core group didn't just follow Jesus because he was a good speaker anymore. From this point on, they knew who they were dealing with. They knew who they were following. They knew. They knew. They knew. What does that mean for us? Listen. When God's glory is revealed, you must decide whether to accept or reject. There is no middle ground here. If Jesus truly is who he says he is, you can't just sweep it under a rug. You either have to choose to trust him or choose to run from him. There is no plan C. I told you the miracles does not just... Uh, point to the fact that he is deity; he is God, which it clearly shows here. Right? Amen. It really shows that Jesus is the Son of God. But I said, secondly, it shows that that he meets a practical need. So let's go. To, let's go. Let's kind of go back to the story. All right, back to the story in John two. What event is taking place in this in this uh, setting? You know it, a wedding right a wedding a beautiful wonderful wedding where a couple is supposed to be experiencing great joy it is to be a community celebration you should if you got time read about what the uh, the first century weddings were all about it was not like the weddings of today i mean it was a big deal usually you had a betrothal period like think about getting engaged period for like a year And during that time, the groom would be saving up a whole lot of money because he knew that this wedding was going to cost more than many of the weddings that we experience today. Not only because they used all the good foo-foo, okay, and all the frills and stuff. Their weddings many times lasted about a week. So there was a week of great festivities, food, fellowship, and all that kind of stuff. And so they had to be well prepared for that. But what was the problem in this wedding, remember? The problem was that the wine was running out? The wine was running out. Why? Why was the wine running out? It doesn't tell us. The scripture doesn't tell us. It could have been poor planning, all right? Listen, back then you couldn't just run, you couldn't get into your little uh, cart and go down to Dollar General and pick up a two liter of, of 7 Up and, and raspberry, whatever. You, you, you couldn't do that. If you ran out, you had to wait. Maybe there were more guests than expected. Remember what happened three days ago? Uh huh. Jesus started what? His ministry. So, where Jesus went, guess what? A crowd would come, right? Could have been that. It could have been that. So, it could have been poor planning, or it could have been a lack of provision. Maybe the groom didn't save enough. Maybe he thought he could get by. This would be shameful. Back in that, you think it's bad now. It was very shameful back then. You you would have a black mark on your name for the rest of your life if you shamed the community by not giving them enough food and drink. Talk about the pressure. That's not hospitality, that's entertainment. You've got to entertain a whole community during a wedding. That's what was going on. This was a huge social blunder. The repercussions of this would result in in just almost blasphemy from this family. Social media would destroy him. Man, did you hear what happened? Oh my goodness. Hence... Mary's call to Jesus. Mary goes to Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Have you made mistakes? How about you? Have you made mistakes? Have you ever messed something up big time? Have you ever experienced disappointment in your life? Have you tried and tried and tried, but seem to only be getting further and further behind? Listen, many of us have had grand, great plans about our life and about our future that have not come to fruition. We have worked triple overtime for success, and what have we received? How about quadruple bills, quadruple rejections, misgivings, failures, and or disasters? That seems to be our lot. Some of us have even tried religion, and we feel as though we've gotten even more and more lost. Some have tried to find completeness and joy through human relationships alone, but they've only caused more grief and sorrow. I've got good news for you today there is an answer. To your great need. Do what Mary did. Do what Mary did. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Where your your work to earn kind of favor with God needs to stop and let God's grace, mercy, and joy start. You see, where religion fails. Christ prevails. Where your relationships burn, Jesus heals. And where your plans change, Jesus comes in and redirects. Proverbs 3 5 and 6 says this Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and that he will make straight your paths. This wedding party was in the midst of grave disappointment. And yet Jesus came and brought joy. He can also bring joy into your life's disappointments as well. Many of us have done a lot of things that we're ashamed of. Disappointments galore. But Jesus can redeem you. From your life's disappointment. And again. Bring you joy. Whatever you have done. Whoever you are. Give yourself. I plead with you to Jesus today. Give yourself to him. And he will fill you. Like think about those. Those uh, Old Testament jars. He wants to fill you though. With something sweet. Something great. He wants to fill you. Not with more burdens in your life. But with unspeakable joy. Your circumstances may not change. I'm not going to lie to you. Your circumstances may not change and life is still going to be tough. But this is something I can promise you. You will have the assurance that God himself, the one whom every molecule must submit to his authority, and not only submit, have to be willing to change, because willing or not, he is going to always do what brings him glory and what brings most good to us. Never forget that. He will always be there. Now and forever. And He's going to bring you, if you truly trust in Him, He is going to bring you a joy that nothing else can take away. So my plea to you, come to Jesus. Father God, thank you so much for this awesome story about a wedding. Knowing, Lord, that, that the beginning of, of creation of man and woman begins with a wedding. Creation in its all end and consummation is going to end in a beautiful wedding. And so, of course, the beginning of your ministry is going to start with a wedding to show how much you love your people, how much you love the church and what you are willing to do to bring joy out of shame, guilt, And despair and God, we desperately need that. So, God, right now I play, I pray for the believers in this room. God, that we would remember who you are. God, your Savior, you're the Son of God, and you're right here today, so that we can call upon you just like Mary. God, we could obey you just like those servants. And God, we can trust you just like the disciples. Father, I pray, Lord, for someone in here who is struggling in belief. I pray the same thing that Pastor Anthony Salvaggio says. The very signs that Jesus does causes us to embrace the only hope for change in our life. God's self-help books will not fix what afflicts us. Sex, money, and power will not satisfy the longings of our heart. We are spiritually dead outside of you, Christ. We can no more change our nature than could the water change itself into wine in those Jewish pots. We need you, Christ, to change us. Only you can transform physical things. Only you can transform a heart. Only you can transfer a soul from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of your love. So God, help those struggling in their, in their faith or their questions to know that when you changed that water into wine, you were telling us that you can make all things new. Even me, even them, help us to see your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. You were telling us that you can make.